Good morning. It is so good to be with you on this very cold winter morning. Um, the the opportunity that we have to be here, to be to be gathered together with one another, to praise and worship our one true God, and and to spend time in in edification and building up and and impressing one and on further and forward in our, our service to Him and in our, our worship to Him. It truly makes this this very cold day outside feel like a pretty warm day in here. Uh, I'm very thankful to have this opportunity to be here with you and to to work together with you as we labor in the Lord's vineyard, as we talked about this morning in in our Bible class. Today, I want to to wrap up the study that we have been doing on the these eight graces of of uh, the, the Christian life uh, and the, the Christ like character that we are trying to develop as we've noted throughout this series that we are we are to be growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that involves developing such a character a development that requires a great deal of, of diligence and, and zeal this this isn't something that we just are going to stumble into but it must be something that we set our focus and, and our attention on and our desire to gain and it's a character that includes these graces that we have been discussing, working together in spiritual harmony, graces such as faith and virtue, knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, all this that we've been studying from 2 Peter chapter 1. And what we have seen is this is a construction project. This is something that we build, each one building a layer on top of another. But that project is not complete without the addition of, of love. Now, with what serves, love serves as the epitome of these, these graces that Peter lists off here. And so there must be something special about love. And we know that, that it is oftentimes set aside as special. It is oftentimes exalted above other graces. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is said to be greater than faith and hope. In Galatians 5 and verse 22, and we have the fruits of the Spirit. Love is given first place in that list. And in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It is to be adorned above all the graces mentioned. But what is love? And how is love different than what we talked about last Sunday? We didn't might have this idea that didn't we already talk about love? Are we going to really spend time talking about love again? Well, in the Greek, there are four different ways in which the, the word love is, is spoken of. One of these four ways is the word, word that we used last week, the word phileo or philia, the love of close friends, the love of brothers. We spent a great deal of time talking about that uh, last, last Sunday morning. The other idea that we have is this word storge, which means the love of family, the love that we might have for our spouse or our children. The Greeks also use the word eros, which is where we get the idea of the word erotic. It is a carnal love, a physical love. But the word that I want to talk about today is the word agape, a love which seeks the highest good of others, not just friends, not just families, not just of, of brethren. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 is talking about this idea, uh, this, this word agape, and the type of love that it is in seeking this highest good of others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the highest form of love. It's the highest form and higher than the form of brotherly kindness. The love of those that love us back. It's a, high, it's a level higher than that. It can be said that agape love does not depend upon the one uh, um, that, is, that is being shown love as one that's having earned that love. That's a lot of times the way we kind of treat this idea of love. Is if I'm going to love you, you've really got to do something to earn that. You've got to do something to earn me showing that affection towards you. Agape doesn't have that. Agape is not exclusive. Agape is inclusive. It's all embracing. It's benevolence that is on a level much higher than just that of something that I give in return for something good done for me. But I want to say that it's not uncontrolled. It's not a, a just simply a, a reaction of the heart. Agape is a concentrated exercise of will. It's a caring love. It's one which becomes involved in the needs of others. And we can look at so many different ways to describe agape, but perhaps one of the most simple but yet straight to the point way to describe agape love is its active goodwill. It's actively searching ways to do good for others. And it is best exemplified, uh, just like brotherly love we talked about last Sunday, it's best exemplified by the Father and the Son. God demonstrated agape love. Romans chapter 5 in verse 8, we read of the relationship that we had with God before he showed, showed this love to us that, that we're going to be looking at. Roman, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A love that we didn't deserve, a love that we did not merit, and yet God still, still had that active goodwill. He still had that love for us in such a way that we didn't deserve. And naturally, his love is called a great love. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 spends time talking about this. But we also have God the Son. We have Jesus' Jesus's demonstration of agape love. Probably one of the most well-known passages when we think of the love of Jesus. When we think of the love of God, we probably oftentimes think of John 3.16, but when we think of the love of Jesus, maybe we think of 1 John 3.16, where we read, <clears throat> We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus demonstrated this sort of selfless, self-sacrificing love by laying down his own physical life. And there is no love that is greater than the love that he showed for us. Truly, the Father and the Son, they have exemplified active good, uh, goodwill towards all. We did talk a great deal about this last week, and so we're not going to, to dive back into that again. But since the Father and the Son have shown such active goodwill, such, such agape love towards all, should we not be surprised that it is something that is required 
of Jesus' disciples. When we think of agape and we think of what agape is, we need to first realize that it's necessary in being called sons of God. Turn back over to Matthew 5. Jesus commands his disciples here in showing agape love. Matthew chapter 5, read with me verses 43 and 44. It says, You have heard that it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That leads up, that is the the context leading up to verse 44 that we've already read. He said, you know, it's, it's, it's cultural for you. It's understandable to you to say love those that are close to you, but hate those that are against you. Hate those that, that, that fight with you and hurt you and, and that you really just don't care for. Hate those people. You know how that is and you understand that. But Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And showing active goodwill to our enemies, one thing that we need to notice is it makes us like our Father in heaven. Read verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In so many ways, God shows his love for everybody. Whether we be good or whether we be bad. Whether we be righteous or whether we be unrighteous. God is still still showing his love and blessing those and blessing all of us. What Jesus is saying here is you need to understand that we need to be like that. If we want to be considered sons of God, we can't be of the mindset that I'm just going to love those who love me. If we continue on, verses 46 through 47, we see that not only will we be like God, but we are going to be stand out. We are going to be set apart. We are going to be different, which is just the same ways to describe sacred. We're holy. Verse 46 through 47 says, For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brethren or brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Verse 48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We will be complete. And what says perfect there, we can, we can just... We can also read this word complete. We will be complete in the area of love and of mercy, even as our Father in heaven is perfectly merciful. Perfectly merciful in, in, in this area. God expects us, Jesus expects us to follow the example that is set of act of goodwill towards all. It is necessary if we truly desire to be called sons of God. It's also necessary to be, a, to be a Christian. It's a necessary component to that Christian life, to that Christian walk. In fact, if we return over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, we get the feeling that love should be something that just sort of follows us around. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, it actually seems like love should be in the atmosphere surrounding us. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. As we come to, as we are walking around, as we go to our, to our friends, as we go to our coworkers, as we just go about our everyday life, we should have almost an aura about us that says this person, this person is a loving person. This person cares about me. 
This person desires good things for me. When people see me coming, do they say, I'm glad to see him because there's something different about him? Or do they go, oh, that's, that's Kyle Blevins. Come, let's step to the other side of the, of the walkway. Let's give him his room and let him kind of pass by away from us. We need to walk with an atmosphere of love around us. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 describes love as something we put on, as a garment that we wear. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. <coughs> so oftentimes we wake up in the morning and, and we spend, maybe some of us more than others, an amount of time choosing what we're going to wear that morning. What, what outfit am I going to put on? Does this go well with this? Does this look better? What should I, what should I wear? Colossians, one of the first things we need to make sure we put on each and every morning is, is love. We need, it's, it's a, it, that means it's a choice. That means it's not something that is just a, a, a bubbly feeling that, that when our eyes meet with somebody, there's love. It's something that I, when I wake up in the morning, decide that I am going to do today. I'm going to put on love for all those that I might come into contact with. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14 tells us, it's a motive. First <clears throat> Corinthians 16. Verse 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. Our Christian service is to be motivated by love. Sometimes that's that's easier said than done. Sometimes we're motivated by praise. Sometimes we're motivated by a feeling of I have to do this be just because it's been said that I have to do this. I, yeah, we're motivated by tradition. But what we read here in 1 Corinthians is we are need to be motivated by a love. A love that says I love God enough to follow the commandments that he set out before me. A love that says I love others enough to follow the commands that God has set out before me. Commands that oftentimes impact other people's lives. Not only is it a motive, it's a glue. Turn back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. <clears throat> Here we read, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. We think of that idea of being knit together. Every single one of us today has got to be thankful for, for people who know how to sew because everything that we're wearing is made up of clothing that is sewn together. If, if the threads, Holly pointed out, where I was, we got here, I've got a button that's broken in half. If, if the threads that we're wearing are not sewn together, they're going to start falling apart. We're going to start, I'm going to start looking really ridiculous up here in front of everybody with my clothes falling apart. Love knits us together. And without that love, we look ridiculous. We look incredibly silly. We are an embarrassment because that we, we, we aren't together. We are not united. We are spread apart and we are unraveling at the seams. Love is an incredibly important part of, of, of Christianity. And in fact, it is a controlling part of Christianity. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5, and in verse 13. It says, For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. I'm sorry, I'm in Galatians chapter 6. I knew that didn't seem right. Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Of Christian liberty. Of the, the, the liberties that we have in Christ and, and, and the liberties that come from being set free from, from sin and, and, and in the context and, and in that day being set free from the old law. There is these, um, this important motivating factor that controls those liberties of love. I may have the liberty to do something, but I am still going to love my brother and my sister and those around me, even mine enemies, so that I can serve them. Even if that means that I have to sacrifice some of those things that I have the liberty to do, some of those things that I feel are my right. Every facet of our life. When we look at this thing, the atmosphere around us, the garment that we put on, the motivation in our lives, the glue that holds us together, the controlling factors of our lives are all governed by agape love, active goodwill towards all. And as important as love is to the Christian life, maybe we can appreciate why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the greatest of these. Why in Colossians 3.14 he said, put on love. Above all things, put on love. How do we go about putting on love or adding to it brotherly kindness? How do we go about developing love? One way we do this is letting the Father teach us. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4. We talked again, another passage we talked about Sunday. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10. It says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do not practice it towards all the you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. How does the Father teach us to love? As we've already read, He teaches us through His character. It's, it's who He is. God is love. As 1 John 4, verse 8 tells us. His grace, His mercy, His long-suffering and abundant goodness. These are all indications of His love. When we read through the Old Testament, and so oftentimes we, you might hear the Old Testament is a God of, of hate and of war and of murder, and the New Testament is this God of love and of peace, but that is not the case. As we read through the Old Testament, as we read through Deuteronomy alone, we get so many beautiful examples of the patience of God, of the love of God, of his desire to create a people from, for himself, to set them apart, and, to, and for their well-being. It is still his desire today. We see it through his example. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That he made his son, as Romans 5 verse 8 says, a propitiation for the sins that we committed. A payment for the sins that we committed. 
the Father so loved us. The Father loved us so much. We must learn to love others in the way that, that he loved. And again, by the Son, as we read in 1 John 3, 16, that's how we even know love. Because of the, the price that he paid, laying down his life for us. That's how we are able to walk in love. As Ephesians 5, verse 2 says, as Christ also loved us. We are given example after example. And we are giving standards. That it's not just what I, I, I deem love is. But what Christ showed. And what God showed love is. John 13 verse 34. Love others as I have loved you. Or love one another, excuse me, as I have loved you. We need to contemplate how Jesus died for us. We need to contemplate what that means in our lives and the meaning of the love that He showed. We see these things as we are taught by the Father. We see this as we are taught by the Son. And as we read about it in His Word, we also see it through holy inspiration through the apostles. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, we are taught by the Apostle Paul about love. And developing love. Verses 4 through 8 says love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As we read through what Paul described as love, we get, we get a laundry list of things that help us to develop love in our lives. Maybe I'm not a very loving person, but I see the importance of it, and I want to grow in that facet in my life. What do I do? Well, I start here in verse 4, and I start working on each and every one of these. Not going, okay, I'm patient, and I'm kind, pretty arrogant. But you know what? I can overlook arrogance. I, I can overlook being, being arrogant because you know what? I don't act unbecomingly and, and I don't take into account a wrong suffer. That's not what we read here in this passage. We take each and every one of these just as we've talked about in Second Peter and we make sure that each and every one of them is a part of a whole. We're going to work on patience and, and kindness and arrogancy and, and, and not being rude and not seeking our, for ourselves, not being selfish. We're going to add each one of those to itself and make sure that it describes as a whole me. That's one way that we start to develop love. Another way is seen in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12 says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. You think, what's going on here in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12? What's going on here is Paul is praying for the Thessalonian people, for the churches that are in Thessalonica. And he's praying that they would increase and they would be overflowing in love. And this isn't going to be the, 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 the only time that we read about this happening. In Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, once again, we read Paul praying. It says, so that Christ may dwell in you 
in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, uh, filled up to all the fullness of God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he's doing the same thing for the Philippians. We need to make this a constant part of our prayers, not only for ourselves, but for all of us. That we be filled, that we be abounding in love. To know the love, as it says again in Ephesians, know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, and that may be filled up to all the fullness of of God. We need to be praying for that. Asking God for that. Not only do we study diligently the Word of God to understand love, to understand what it means, and, and to understand how it is displayed by God uh, the Father and God the Son, but also reading how others, men, showed love through, through their lives and praying that God will help us grow in that manner. It will fill us with that love as well. But we don't just need to know about love. We don't just need to develop love. We need to display love. We need to demonstrate love. One of the first ways that we do that is by starting to demonstrate our love to God. And some may think, and it is, it is obvious uh, as it was in that day, it's obvious in this day as well that the best way for us to demonstrate God is through some outrageous display uh, of that love that, that we have concocted in our minds. Maybe we are going to go to the rooftop of the building and shout at the top of our lungs our love for the Lord. Maybe we're going to take a different approach and we're going to buy a, a bumper sticker. Uh, uh, honk if you love Jesus. You know, we're going to to fill our, our social media pages with things uh, just showing that we are, we are uh, followers and lovers of God. And none of those things are wrong. I don't want to try and discourage us. But I want us to know that there is a proper way to demonstrate love towards God. The way that he has commanded us. John chapter 14. In verse 15. In John 14, verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he went on to say, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You know, a lot of times we, we really like to take things and to overcomplicate. And to come up with these great grand scenarios in which we, we feel like we are doing something that is so good and so great. When God has simply asked, follow me. As Jesus went to his, to his apostles, as he went to those first disciples, he said, follow me. Just keep the commandments. Do what I ask. That is love. That is how you demonstrate your love to me. In 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 and verse 20 and 21. 
read there together as it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So not only does he tell us to follow me and keep my commandments, he says also, love one another. Have love for self. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. We are to love one another. And that brings up the second way that we display our love. We display it towards man. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 2, we go on to read, By this we know that we love, that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Does it really feel like we're starting to walk in circles here? It begins. Our love for God involves showing love for man, and our love for man involves keeping the commandments of God ourselves. And we must remember, Matthew 5 says, that that doesn't mean that it's limited to just our friends and to our loved ones. When we are following God, it's, it, it is, and we're truly following God, it's going to change the way we see other people. The way, we, the, 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 way the world sees people and the way that, that so many times the, we, we like to try and, and, and view the world is through a very uh, classified or, or <coughs> discriminative sort of way uh, in which we say, this person is rich or that person is poor. That person is white or that person is black. That person is liberal person is conservative. That person is, is Christian and that person is Buddhist. That person is, is a hard worker and that person is a terrorist. And why those, those sort of, of divisions amongst us are oftentimes inherent because of the choices that we make and the lives that we live. God commands us, he calls us to view people to view people as the, the creation that he has made. Each and every one of the, the, the people that we know, our neighbors, our friends, anyone that we come in contact with, when we view them, what's the first thing that we think? I'm reminded of, of about a year ago good friend of mine was, was, was putting on a, a lecture, and he put a picture up of, of a, a young woman, and she had a, a head covering on, um, but you could see the majority of her face, and, and she looked like she was screaming. Uh, her, her eyebrows were furrowed. Uh, she had an arm raised, and kind of a close-up picture, and he asked, what do you see? see bigotry. I see someone who who wants to end humanity. And then he revealed the rest of the picture. It was a young woman from, if I remember correctly, Syria. She was holding a Bible. She was a Christian. And she was proclaiming a message from, from the Word. And I realized I don't see things 
always the way that God sees it. Agape love is demonstrated towards all men, and it's demonstrated through a way that sees deeper than what's on the surface, sees deeper than what's right in front of our faces. It looks to the very core of a human being and sees a soul that God created, a soul that God placed on this earth, and a soul that God gave me and each and every one of you a charge to take a message to. He loves them, and he calls them to love others in the same way that he's loved them, sacrificially following after our creator. Do we really love our fellow man? Those are words that are easily spoken. But do the actions show that we believe that in deed and in truth? As we come to the end of our study on this idea of growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. From 2 Peter chapter 1, I, I hope that we have seen that it is not something that we enter into lightly. It is not something that we look at and, and just kind of flirt with. It's something that requires a dedication and a diligence of our lives. It requires an ever-increasing growth in these characteristics faith and virtue and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Maybe we excel at some of these. Maybe we excel at all of them. But there's always room for growth. We must continually be looking for ways to get better and to abound in these graces. But is it really worth our time? Is it really worth the effort put into this? I want to suggest that it is absolutely one of the most important things that is worthy of our attention. Because as we grow in this knowledge, the grace and peace of God is multiplied. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. All things pertaining to life and godliness are provided. Verse 3. We avoid spiritual short-sightedness and amnesia. Verse 9. Verse 10 says we will never stumble or, or, or fall, losing our salvation if we would grow in these sorts of ways. Verse 11 says we will have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Therefore, it is my prayer that in some way, this, this time that we have spent looking and, and studying these characters has encouraged us to be more diligent in supplying these eight graces to our life, in putting them into an ever-increasing measure of our lives, and being mindful of that final admonition Peter gave in, in, in 2 Peter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Maybe, maybe it's love that you've struggled with. Maybe it's one of these other graces. Maybe there's, there's something that you know that you have not done that you need to do to be pleasing to God. If you have not yet given your life to Him, if you have not yet sacrificed your, your, your desires and your, your, your passions for the simple call of Jesus, Follow me. 
What are you waiting for? What, what hinders you? What's staying in your path? There is a God that is increasingly more than us showed a love for you. And there is a son who gave his life so that you might be set free from sin. As we stand back and each and every one of us has pondered and must ponder that question. What stands in my way of pleasing God? And each and every time I've asked myself that question, the answer has always been no. Don't stand in your own way when it comes to pleasing God. Step out of your life. Step into His. In whatever way that we can help you and assist you in that this morning, I encourage you, please let it be known as we stand and as we sing.